Well, good morning. We are finishing up Philippians today. Um, we'll be looking primarily at 10 through 23. I do want to step back for just a second uh, and grab a little bit from last week. Um, oftentimes you you leave from teaching or from preaching and feel like you've left something on the table. And so I was, by providence, able to do two sections in a row. So I'm going to go ahead and just say a little bit about last week. If you look in verse 9, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, it, it goes well with today, I believe, um, in the sermon. And so, by the Lord's providence, I think that's so. Uh, walking faithfully is where you have God with you. Walking faithfully um, is where you have God with you. Uh, for, for men, uh, our admonition, if we want the Lord to hear our prayers, is to love our wives well, to, to cherish them, to honor them as the weaker vessel, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That comes from Peter. Um, so it's, it's no, should be no surprise to us to understand that God is not required to hear our prayers, even of the elect. Even of the elect. If you assume that you can live in open sin and rebellion, and that God will always hear you, that is a bad assumption. So, walking faithfully is where you have God with you. The path of faithfulness is where the God of peace will be with you. So, uh, verse 9, if you look at it, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, I wanted to grab that from last week, and as we look at this last section, we come to what could arguably, I can't even say a word, arguably, be lifted up as the most abused passage in the entire Bible. Second, possibly, or competing with first for Second Chronicles 7.14. We're going to look at Philippians 4.13. You can easily go to any popular Christian store and find a celebration t-shirt that shows a victory of some sort, whether that be in football, in graduation, or... Even to the point where I saw a picture of a nice, jacked-up mud truck with Philippians 4.13 right below it, saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is used as a victory verse for many people's idols. And that's why I would argue it is probably the most abused text, um, specifically by Christians. Now, we could argue that unbelievers like to use other texts because they don't use this text because they don't care about doing anything through Christ. But for from the church, maybe the most abused text in the whole Bible. So, we'll look at that and ask those questions. So, let me read, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So just put in the back of your head as a question to think about what is that secret? I have learned the secret. So, does Paul tell us? Can we infer? Is it plain in the text? What is the secret? So, obviously he's talking about the Philippians and their ability to care for Paul. Uh, We've looked in chapter 2 and as the Lord talked about Epaphroditus being sent to them and how he was near to death and they were worried about him and he was anxious to send them back and God spared Epaphroditus so that Paul would be comforted and they wouldn't, so that Paul wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow and also that the Philippians would be comforted. Um, so that is, that is the concern. Epaphroditus brought a gift to Paul to relieve him in his great time of need. Now Paul's not highlighting this so he can get more gifts. And Paul's not highlighting this because he thought that if he didn't get it, there was something wrong. Verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It may be an obvious question. Y'all go ahead and answer it. What's Paul's main point here? Joy should be in Christ, not in your situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boil it down to one word. Contentment. Now packed into that one word, obviously we got to grab the whole rest of the book. Why was Paul content at the beginning of the book? when people were preaching Christ out of rivalry. Because Christ was being proclaimed. There was a contentment in the work of God. Paul is walking in the faithful path. And he knows the faithful path is not easy. But there's a contentment in the path. Now imagine if you will, I've given the idea of directions before, you're headed somewhere and it doesn't look like the right way, but you have a map that you trust, and you know that map's not wrong. And it may be taking you through the hood, but you know it's the only way there. You know there's no other path that will lead to your destinations. It may be through Hell's Canyon. It may be through the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Could that be possible? The 23rd Psalm celebrated way too much for somebody who's dead when it is a life verse, people that are alive. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We are going to walk through it. So if you can imagine, if you had a map, and you trusted it, you would be a little bit easier with the things you saw. Paul was content in walking the faithful path. Paul knew that there would be difficulties and hardships on the faithful path. That's all wrapped up in that contentment. We've talked about, we've had this conversation, had a little text message yesterday just about what the days of head may entail. There's the idea of large difficulties, but I also want to bring it back to small difficulties. I talked last week about our relationships and the fact that two people were called out by name in a public letter to the church and the difficulty that is. 
and the difficulty that we have in relationships and the, and the desire that we should have for unity amongst each other and coming together and loving each other. That's a difficult path. We all unite and we rally easily against the big things. We could find such great unity and agreement on so many big things that we want to change right now about our country, about our government. And no doubt that will be the difficult that will be part of the difficulty. But the greater part of the difficulty might be the stuff inside the walls. The difficulty th- difficult things that we will face as believers striving together on that path. Paul has seen abundance. Paul has seen need. And he has learned when he's on the path, he's able to be content. The secret is contentedness in Christ for walking the path, the path of faithfulness. That's one reason why I grabbed nine, because I, I wanted to get that idea forecasted across this text. The idea that you can have peace. Why does Paul have peace? You can't separate contentedness and peace. They go together. So forecast that verse 9 onto this text and see what he's teaching them. It was good that he was relieved of a burden. It's good of us to do that. We should never sit in a chair when we have an opportunity to help somebody and think, man, they should just be content. (laughs) We're missing the whole point. We sit down and we say, man, God's providence put him in a hard time. Man, it's going to be good for them to learn contentment. No, get off your rear and help them. (laughs) In whatever way were possible. Paul understood that they didn't have opportunity. But when they had opportunity, they acted. You don't have opportunity in everything. But there are things that God has given you opportunity in. Those are the good works that Ephesians 2.10 talks about that you should work in. Those are the poema the good works that you are to walk in, to live in, to surround your life with. Those are the little things like carrying tables in a garage sale. Crying, mourning with somebody, celebrating with somebody, the joys. Do not disconnect 4.13 from the rest of Philippians. What does it mean to live through Christ? Do you have the ability to be humbled? Do you have the ability to be humbled? We've talked about repentance. It is humbling to have to repent. Paul expressed to them an ability to be in need. To be humbled. It's one reason that fasting in God's design helps us draw closer to God. Because it is humbling to deny the physical aspects of your body. To push back against the desire for food is humbling. Do you have the ability to be humbled? Christians should be content, whatever the situation. But it is good to ease one another's burdens. To fellowship in our troubles. Desire others to give for their own fruitfulness. Desire for others to give for their own fruitfulness. If you look at what Paul's celebrating there, it was kind of you, verse 14, let me read the next section. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's good to have a desire for other people to give. Now, obviously that's a slippery slope. <laughs> Can be. We, we would call the prosperity gospel an anathema. Rightly so. But it is good to desire for other people to sacrifice for their fruitfulness. Examine your heart. See what your desire is. The, the root desire that you should have in seeing other people give is for their fruitfulness, for them to experience the joy. Did Jesus really say it's better to give than to receive? Did you have to answer that question? For yourself and for others. Part of that is to be said, one humbling thing is to receive when you don't want to look like you're in need. To receive when you don't look like you're in need. Our culture is different than many, many cultures. It's very offensive if you reject a gift. Very offensive. If you reject a meal, if you reject a drink, our culture is a little different. We have higher preferences, if you will. Oh, no, I don't eat that, or no, no, I can't do that, or... Whatever it may be, we don't see it as offensive, as offensive in our culture to reject a gift from somebody. It is humbling to be in need and to receive a gift from somebody. So you have to ask yourself, are you willing to receive from other people? Paul was. His root wasn't pride. His root was their, their fruit. I've set up these scenarios before. Would it be possible that God would put you in a situation of great need that you couldn't fulfill so that somebody else might be more fruitful in giving to you? Would it be possible that God would put you in a situation you couldn't get yourself out of so that somebody else could fulfill that need and show you to be weak? Take that, take that, men, take that for a grain, grain, chew on that for a minute. Is it, is it possible that God might make you weak so that others might be made fruitful? And I would say absolutely so. Absolutely so. Trusting, verse 19. Actually, let me, verse 18, sorry. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Think about our response. This is something I have been horrible at, is responding thankfully and being grateful for what I've been given. Paul, if you look at what Paul... Imagine, if you will... This is a church. They give to the needs. They send to Paphroditus. And it's memorialized in the New Testament writing to where we can read about it. And Paul's statement about it is, it's a sacrifice, or excuse me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
I've never ever told anybody, and this is convicting for me, I've never ever told anybody that I thought what they gave to me was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Have you ever considered that? That what somebody gave you, you can testify to them because it fulfilled your you in a time of need when you were needful. And we, do, we say thank you, appreciate it, I show you, you love me, I love you, da 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 da. But do we ever raise it to the God level <laughs> and say what you did was pleasing and acceptable to God? We almost feel blasphemous saying it. But there's your example. Now imagine for a second, this all correlates to our relationships, how we relate to each other. Imagine what that's going to feel like for somebody else when they think you believe they're fulfilling God's ministry in such a way that it is a sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to God. Thank you. Ephesians 2.10 Good works that God has prepared in advance for you to walk in. There it is. Connect those together and see what we're called to walk in as believers as we strengthen our relationships, as we commit to one another. As we walk in love, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to bounce back through Philippians because this is our last session in it. 1, 9 through 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Love abounding produces purity and righteousness that comes through Christ to the praise and glory of God. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That your love may abound. 2, 15 and 16. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. To be light, you must hold fast to the word of life. If you don't hold fast to the word, Paul will not be proud and will have run in vain. That's the opposite side of what he says there. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Have you ever connected your Christian walk to Paul's strivings? We need to live in such a way that Paul is not, did not run in vain. Have you ever connected us that much to the people of God to where you look at that and you see your fruitfulness, your sanctification being a fulfillment that Christ did not run in vain? And that connects to 4.9. I'm circling back around. That connects to 4.9. Walking faithfully. Walking faithfully. In the path that God has prepared for us. Being content in want and in abundance. And and as Americans, honestly, it's harder to be content in abundance. Not Not because it's harder to be content when you have a lot versus when you don't have a lot but because Americans have so much abundance. Our greater threat is being content with Christ in abundance. Have no doubt about that. 
we have much. And we are ill content many days. So are you content in need or abundance with walking the path that God has laid out for you with Christ being proclaimed in your life and in others? Soli Deo Gloria. So, does that make sense? Questions? Comments? I hope to connect it all together. But I understand that since the Tower of Babel, clear communication is extremely difficult. Do you see the connections? Our brains, as we learn different things, the synapses start connecting together. And all of a sudden the whole Christmas tree lights up every once in a while and you're just like, ah, that's a wonderful thing. I love that. That's why I love, love this part here. Are you connecting it all together? Synthesizing it into that one faithful walk in trusting and looking to Christ. So, One last scripture, and if you have any thoughts or questions, please go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Every single one of us, the same image. From one degree of glory to another. That's how intricately tied together we are. That's how intricately connected the mission is. Yes, your path may look a little different. You're headed the same direction. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed from one degree of glory to another. Transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's the the amazing thing about the Lord and His otherness. You, you thought that I was one like you, is what he says. He, he's so much other than us. He is holy, holy, holy. As R.C. R. Sproul quote goes, The Bible does not say God is love, 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 or God is grace, grace, grace. But it does say He is holy, holy, holy. So in His otherness, His separateness from us, He is able to have every single believer walking the same direction on a different path, but every single one of those things affecting each other and the growth in the body of the church. 
That's the, that's the dots going off connecting. That's why we will spend eternity praising God's glorious plan, His majesty. He is holy, holy, holy. Any questions? Yes, yes, yes. The, the lack of contentment, the lack of contentment is an evidence of indwelling sin. The lack of contentment is an evidence of indwelling sin, which needs to be repented of. And so, a- absolutely. It's, it's, and it's, uh, and it, it is literally a daily thing we face. It's literally a daily thing we face. This morning, when I was making coffee... And something dropped and hit the floor. And my instant lack of contentment about that and frustration is sin. It is sin. It is an offense to a holy God that my little perfect world would get ruptured by a falling spoon. Evidence of my indwelling sin. The the man of flesh is there. And I must fight daily against that. The small, you can argue from the smallest to the largest, or from the largest to the smallest, the, the spoon or the government. Not that we don't strive for righteousness and holiness and seek to change things around us. Not that I don't try to be more careful and not drop a spoon at all. But the situation you're sitting in, if it disrupts your life so much, that that's, it, it's rocked your world. If you're not content to worship God and to exalt Christ... And live in that. That is sin. Not that we're... And and don't confuse. This is where it's difficult to... You have to line out. We should not be okay with wickedness. I'm not saying we sit down... This is not a passive approach to Christianity where we sit down and say, I'm just going to read my Bible and sit here. No, we act. We walk in those good works. You walk down that path. But your contentment in need or abundance, what, what you're satisfied with will show what you desire. I said that at the beginning, first time I taught, when we were going through Philippians. What are you satisfied with? It shows us what your desires are. I wasn't satisfied with a spoon dropping to the floor. My desire was my own self-comfort. Simple as that. And yes, I must repent of that. So, it's interesting the trials the Lord puts in our lives. We prepare and we prepare, and we 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 want the enemy we prepared for. That's the interesting thing about COVID. We want the enemy we prepared for. We weren't prepared for COVID. It's the shot down the fence that nobody knew existed, and it started splitting churches and dropping people on both sides. We were prepared for that. We want the enemy we prepared for. But we often get the enemy we need. Consider the path that God has put us on. So, 
when troubles arise in our lives, when disagreements, when confrontations, whatever it may be, if your frustration about the moment, if your anger about the situation drives you to that discontentment in Christ, that is sin, and we must repent of it. So, does that answer your question? No. Picture time. All right. I'm going to read. Sorry. Another prayer. Heavenly Father, if I should suffer need and go unclothed and be in poverty, make my heart prize thy love. Know it, be constrained by it, though I be denied all blessings. It is thy mercy to afflict and try me with wants. For by these trials I see my sins and desire severance from them. Let me willingly accept misery, sorrows, temptations, if I can thereby feel sin as the greatest evil and be delivered from it with gratitude to thee, acknowledging this as the highest testimony of thy love. When thy son Jesus came into my soul, instead of sin, he became more dear to me than sin had formerly been. His kindly rule replaced sin's tyranny. Teach me to believe that if ever I would have any sin subdued, I must not only labor to overcome it, but must invite Christ to abide in the place of it. And He must become to me more than vile lust had been, that His sweetness, power, life may be there. Thus I must seek a grace from Him contrary to sin, but must not claim it apart from Himself. When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am a dying, condemned wretch, but in Christ I am reconciled and live, that in myself I find insufficiency and no rest, but in Christ there is satisfaction and peace, that in myself I am feeble and unable to do good, but in Christ I have ability to do all things. Though now I have His graces in part, I shall shortly have them perfectly in that state where thou wilt show thyself fully reconciled and alone sufficient, efficient, loving me completely with sin abolished. O Lord, hasten that day. Amen.